you have a question about your home, call Ken the Contractor. I want to insulate uh, my crawl space. What's your opinion on putting plastic uh, on the dirt floor? Ken Patterson is a Class A licensed contractor, and now Ken the Contractor brings his years of experience to the radio. Uh, first statement I would make about crawl spaces under modern-day construction, you're going to put plastic down if you want to get an inspection. It's actually There's a section in the building code that requires that today. So I strongly encourage it, even before it was in the building code. This is something that I have always done. Do you have a question about your home inside or out? Call Ken the Contractor. Hi, everybody, and welcome to another edition of Ken the Contractor. Ken Patterson is Ken the Contractor. And he's here to help you with that project maybe you're thinking about tackling this weekend or just some other important issues to today's homeowner. A house is what you build. A home is what you make it. If you do have a question for Ken, you can always reach him at 800-614-2975. Or if you'd like to email questions, you can also email your questions to our website, KenTheContractor.com. Well, believe it or not... May is National Home Improvement Month. It seems like every month we have something going on in and around our homes regarding life safety or our uh, particular remodeling or new construction or sales. And May has been designated as the National Home Improvement Month. And you say, you know what, Ken? That's great. What does this mean to me? Well, let me tell you a little bit about it. One reason that it's important for us to bring it up to you because it could have an impact, a positive impact on your pocketbook. It may also have a negative impact on the projects that you're planning later on if you don't take some action here fairly soon. And clearly we know that as we move into warmer weather across the country, we know some of you have had warm weather for a month or two and others are looking forward to it in a few weeks. But as we move into warmer season, this is the time when we do have a tendency to take a greater look at things that need to be repaired, remodeled in and around our home. And the projects we've been sitting inside all winter saying, you know, I really want to do that as soon as we have an opportunity. Maybe this is your year. So one of the things that we we also categorize from time to time are unique or specific industries. And the National Association of Remodeling is an industry all by itself, N-A-R-I. It's the National Association of Remodeling Industry. And they offer a number of tips this time of year, traditionally, for homeowners. And we're going to talk a little bit about not only their tips, but things that I constantly caution you about from time to time regarding hiring contractors and home remodels and prices and budgets and so forth. One of the things certainly that NARI as well as Ken the contractor will tell you is if you have something that relates to construction, don't wait until you're ready to do it to think you're going to call a contractor and have that project started. Now, the fact that this is National Home Improvement Month and there's remodeling and home improvements and maintenance going on everywhere says that you might be too late in some parts of the country. If you're looking to have something done next week or a week and a half or two weeks from now, you may have already missed that boat. You need to be talking to contractors early on. If this is a project you anticipate for the summer or even early fall, now is a great time to be talking with the general contractors, the remodeling contractors, the specialty trades, electricians, plumbers, and so forth. Now, many of the specialty trades are much easier to come by schedule-wise than the remodeling contractors and general contractors. The other thing that I want to mention to you as well is if you have a rather unique remodeling job, that may be one that requires a special skill set, and that may limit you to a specialty remodeling contractor. Not every general construction firm or home addition company will deal with unique projects. 
They find things that really work for them best in their niche. That's what they tend to be most competitive at. They can perform well, and they'll go from location to location doing this. So if you're looking to install a sauna, for example, you're going to completely gut that bathroom and redo it with some high-end or unique items, you may find that you're looking for someone that really specializes in plumbing remodel. Again, you need to think a little bit about their schedule. Give them a call now. This is the time to start looking at layout work, at design work, at budgeting, and obtain multiple prices. You still always hear me tell you, no matter what you're talking about, to obtain at least three prices. So you want to look at design. You want to choose the right professional contractor. You also need to secure the financing. And while financing is a lot easier to come by these days, it still is not a given. You're still going to have to do a little bit of work. You're going to have to fill out some paperwork, and you're going to have to spend some time with your lender securing either a home equity loan or a a loan that's a standalone document for this particular remodel. Now, clearly demand improves or increases this time of year for all the professionals that we've just talked about throughout every market. This is not limited to any one part of the country. So I want you to give serious consideration as you move all the way through this. Now, remodeling not only makes you feel good about your home, it not only takes care of maintenance, and it's not just remodeling, but we're talking about maintenance, remodeling, repairs, all of these items. And you're saying, you know, I got tired of looking at that. I've looked at it for two years. It's been a real nuisance. Makes you feel better about your house, makes you enjoy the home, allows you to enjoy the home a little better, but clearly it increases the value of that home as well. And some of the things as we look at the Home Improvement Month is to say, There are 10 items on my list I really can only afford to do or choose to do, let's say, half of those this year. You want to put a dollar value by each of those items and then establish your priorities. If you've got one that's $2,000, one that's $5,000, one that's $800, and you can go on down the list, where are your priorities? What's most important to you? And also consider, especially if you're thinking next year, two years from now, I may not do the rest of these, but where are you going to get the greatest return on your investment in your home repair, improvement, remodeling, whatever the particular task happens to be. Also, I don't want you to discount the fact that just by talking to a builder means that all you're doing is acquiring prices. Many of these builders offer design services, and if you're not capable of doing this yourself, you clearly are going to have an idea of what you want done, but you need to share that with a design professional. Now, whether this is an interior designer, someone that's a space planner, that can assist you and work directly for you, that gives you some degree of independence. They're separate from a contractor. In many cases, that's probably best because you're presenting the plan and you're acquiring three separate bids based on that document. But there are also contractors out there that have their own design services, and especially unique contractors, those that are into kitchen design, bathroom renovation, HVAC, those type items. They will do their own design work or have their own people to do that. You may have to pay for those services. You can also check on that value versus an independent designer and see how things lay out for you. So those are some options that you have. Never be boxed in the corner by someone saying, we'll do the design, but you're stuck with us on the contract end. Always separate the design portion from the actual contract work. The other thing you want to do is check with your local building officials before you start putting all these wheels in motion and uh, decide later or find out later, once you have your sights really set on being in this new deck or having the new swimming pool put in or new driveway or addition, whatever it is, you want to check with your local building and zoning department. You want to be certain that what you're proposing 
conforms with zoning number one, because if it doesn't meet zoning, you're not going to get a building permit. But check and be sure that you don't have a setback issue, that you don't have buried utilities there that may involve a public easement or right-of-way that you can't build over or encroach on. These are questions we rarely think about asking, but that is one of the things you need to do as the homeowner on the front side so that you can advise the other professionals that are working for you. Now, also, if you're looking for a professional remodeler or home improvement company, and I'll post this to my website, you can go to the National Association of Remodeling Industry. That's NARI, uh, which is a professional group. You can find remodelers that are part of this group nationwide simply by going to their hotline at 800-611-NARI. Again, I'll post that to my website, and you'll find also some information on how to select a remodeling professional. So there's a lot more to know about remodeling and home improvement than we typically talk about in just new construction. Coming up, Ken Patterson, Ken the Contractor, answers your questions. If you've got a question for Ken, you can email us at kenthecontractor.com or give us a call, 800-614-2975. Welcome back. This is Ken the Contractor. I'm Jim Britt along with Ken Patterson, Ken the Contractor. Ken is here to take your calls and also answer your questions about your home inside or out at 800-614-2975. That's 800-614-2975, or email your questions to kenthecontractor.com. Let's go to an email question. Ken, we should mention that everyone who forwards a question to us will get an answer from Ken and also our mailbag editor, Aaron Yoder. But Ken goes back and pulls up some of the more interesting questions. We talk about them on the air, and Beverly has a very timely one because we unfortunately uh, had a situation where our program originates, Ken, where a fire in the last couple of days claimed the life uh, of a person, and it was very unfortunately simple, sad, but unavoidable situation uh, where there were just no smoke detectors in the house. And Beverly out of Tampa, Florida, has an interesting question about those smoke detectors. She does. She said, I'm currently staying in an older home. One of the fire smoke or smoke alarms is mounted pretty close to the kitchen. In fact, so close that every time the oven is open for cooking, it goes off. And she does tell me here, she says, and no, I don't burn the food. So my question is, We would like to know how far away do we need to relocate it for it to still be considered safe enough and for it to work properly, but yet not go off when we open the oven door every time. Also, the alarm goes off. She wants to know, does the alarm go off by heat or by smoke? This is a very good question. In fact, we'll be doing a show in the near future that deals just with smoke alarms and heat detectors as well. So that'll be a future addition. I promise you that. Now, the, in terms of Beverly's question, first, these need to be located away from an immediate constant heat source, one that you know is safe. Smoke detectors are sensitive in some cases to light. They're also sensitive to uh, the smoke, but there are two different types. Again, we'll go into that in detail on a later show. You need to pull it away from an area that has both heat and smoke, and there is clearly a difference between a heat detector and a smoke detector. Smoke alarms or the typical ones that we have in our homes are activated by smoke, not by heat. But there are smoke particles in the air that we can't see that the smoke detector can sense, and it will set that alarm off. Now, as far as positioning goes, most of us think that it's best to put those on the ceiling. What people have discovered in, in recent years, including the fire departments, NFPA and others, that you really were better off mounting those on the wall. That's because in the event of a fire, many times there are gases that are released. Let's say you have fabric burning, a couch or something. The gases may hug that ceiling and actually displace the smoke by a few inches. 
and the gases will not necessarily set off the smoke detector. So you want the smoke to do that. So what they're encouraging us to do, and this comes from NFPA, the National Fire Protection Association, is that smoke detectors that are wall-mounted tend to be somewhere between 3 and 12 inches, no more than 12 inches below the ceiling, and they be mounted on the wall. If you are mounting them on the ceiling, be sure they're at least 3 or 4 inches away from the sidewall. And if you happen to have a vaulted ceiling, don't mount it at the low spot on that vaulted ceiling. You need to go up to the ridge line and mount it so that it's no more than 12 inches below the highest spot. What we need to remember is that smoke rises. We also need to remember, as I said to Beverly and others a moment ago, that just because you open an oven door and there's no visible smoke and it sets an alarm off, that doesn't mean that there's not smoke particles that are being released. It could be from baked-on grease that's creating just a little bit of smoke that you can't see that comes off the inside of that oven that sets these smoke detectors off. And unfortunately, what people have a tendency to do when they're, they have one in a situation like that is they just disconnect it. They get aggravated with it. They said, I'm tired of it going off every time I've got toast in the toaster or I open the oven door. I'm just going to get rid of the thing. And then you get into a situation where you no longer have a safe environment. The key thing, though, with smoke detectors is that there be one at least in every bedroom and that if you've got an upstairs area that should be at the head of the stairway, you need to be sure that sleeping areas, first and foremost, are protected. And then secondly, those areas that are prone to fires where you may have any type of open flame and that's going to be in the cooking area, it's always good to have one in the general vicinity, but not one that's a nuisance to you. So I hope that helps in terms of identifying where to put these and the fact that they are set off by smoke, not by heat. Remember that heat detector is a topic for another day. We appreciate the question, Beverly. Very good. Let's go to the phone lines right now at 800-614-2975. And John joins us right now. He joins us next right here on Ken the Contractor. John, thanks for waiting. You're on the air with Ken Patterson, Ken the Contractor. I've got a, a garage that was painted uh, shortly after. It was uh, it's about a three-year-old house. And I've got some uh, a bunch of depressions in the floor so when I have, uh, after rain or snow, there's puddling in there. And I was wondering if there's any product that you would recommend. And, and these are, I mean, maybe a quarter inch deep at the deepest and anywhere from a, a foot to two foot in diameter in three or four places. Anything that you would recommend to to uh, patch those? And what should I be concerned about as far as doing this over a floor that was um, painted with some type of epoxy paint? Okay, well, first off, the floor paint, the floor coating is going to have to be removed because there's nothing I know of that's going to bond to that. Essentially, what it would do is bond to the floor coating and not bond to the concrete itself. And when you're filling an area or you're leveling a space, you want to be sure that it's bonding to the structure below, that it's grabbing hold of that. And uh, Quickcrete that I talk about from time to time on the show because they're a national company and their products are readily available, will make structural bonding products for just that reason. But they're going to tell you, you have to remove any surface coating. You'll have to clean these areas, and it'll take some acid etching, and they give you the specific brand and product how to do that so that you sort of scour or rough the surface of the concrete up. But they do make a one-part product for that once it's cleaned. Also, uh, there's a a brand name called Ardex, A-R-D-E-X, which is a structural self-leveling product that will fill those areas and will bond to that. That's used in the commercial world. They perform very, very well if the surface is prepped correctly, and it'll take your paint or your stain, and you can go over that again. going to be a little bit of work, but if it's a real nuisance to you, you'll be happy once you put the hours into it using the products. Okay. Uh, from my perspective, it sound, I, I liked it when you said self-leveling because I'm not too confident that I could 
you know, do a much better job and to have a, a final flat surface. So you're saying if I do the prep right, this Ardex is something that I could basically pour and then maybe just do a quick skim over it and it, it should work out? In most cases, you don't even have to skim it. Both Ardex and Quickcrete, two different brands, are self-leveling products. You let them cure. You put your finish on it after the curing time. John, thank you. We do appreciate your call. Don't forget, you can reach Ken at 800-614-2975 and also with an email. Got time for a quick email. Yeah, this one comes to us from Alex in Gladstone, Virginia, who listens to us on WAMV 1420 AM in Amherst, Lynchburg. Said, we'd like to have an in-ground pool installed this summer. Said, our kids are avid swimmers. Main question here is our house lot is sloped once you get about 30 feet away, and I'm concerned about putting it near the house because of foundation damage. Are there any special precautions that I need to take? Well, Alex, I think you're right on track with this. First, you're concerned about foundation damage. You need to consult with the pool installer after you've secured at least three bids and you know who you'd like to work with. All of these folks should come out and make an inspection. They're going to offer information to you during the course of that inspection. And if you're putting especially a concrete uh, a gunite-type pool in place. Either way, gunite or a vinyl line pool, you're going to have some heavy excavation or some deep excavation around that house. If the soil is quite stable, you may get a little closer to the foundation, but if it has been filled and it's not compacted, it's not structural material or it's not natural ground, you're going to have to be a little further away. 30 feet's a pretty good distance, depending on the size pool you're looking at. I think once you're at least 10, 15 feet away, you'll have no issue I would always suggest that you talk with the geotech engineer if there are any reservations in your mind about your soil conditions and or a structural engineer about the type foundation system you have on the house and whether it will be impacted by this excavation. If you've asked those questions, you've done your homework, and I think you'll be in good shape to have that pool installed. Very good. Don't forget, you can friend us on Facebook at Ken the Contractor and follow us on Twitter at Ken Answers. You're listening to Ken the Contractor. Welcome back, and thanks for joining us. You're listening to Ken the Contractor. Ken Patterson is here and to help answer the questions that are important to today's homeowner. If you have a question for Ken, you can always reach him at 800-614-2975 or email your questions to our website, kenthecontractor.com. Time now for this week's edition of One-on-One with Ken the Contractor. Each week, Ken brings you information about product services from companies and experts he interviews during his travels, all to make your life better and, uh, to most importantly, save you money. Joining us now is Milton Sharp Jr. Now, Milton is home ownership specialist for NeighborWorks Campaign for Home Ownership National Initiative. Milton, welcome to the show today. Oh, thank you. Thank you for having me, Ken. Great to be here to be able to talk with your listeners about something that we're very passionate about here at NeighborWorks America. I'm not sure if your folks know who NeighborWorks is. We're a congressionally chartered nonprofit organization that specializes in assisting families in moving into good, safe communities, creating opportunities for them to live and have healthy housing. We support a network of about 238 organizations across the country, and we're in everywhere, including uh, Washington, D.C., and uh, Puerto Rico. You are literally in every single state and in some of our territories. Correct. All right, now tell us in depth a little more about the NeighborWorks campaign for homeowner, the national initiative that's been going on for some time. Yeah, there's a a lot of facets to it, and what I'd really like to do is to just talk about it very broadly in a sense about what it's about. So NeighborWorks America really looks to empower individuals to establish healthy financial habits and um, in helping to establish those financial habits, we have a network of organizations that provide financial education and coaching to people who want to make smarter decisions about their money and their financial goal. We really look 
to encourage individuals to manage their finances uh, so that they're able to reach their long-term goals uh, and some of the short terms as well. And those could be home ownership. We have our home ownership advisors who assist families in getting access to all of the information and players that they'll need to know during that path towards home ownership. Or it could be retirement uh, and even college. We have organizations that have savings programs for individuals who are looking to either purchase a home or start a business or go to college. And so it's really about assisting and empowering individuals to achieve achieve their goals. So it is not just home ownership, but it's every aspect really of family finance from buying a home, renting a home, determining am I qualified for a home? What do I need to know about home ownership to college tuition? Absolutely. And it's basic Adam Smith economics in the sense that we really want to empower an individual because we feel that the educated consumer is the best consumer. And this way they're now default resistant, so they're less likely to go into foreclosure. And we know this because recently there was a study that was done uh, with Experian where we were able to go in and look at the credit scores of individuals who've gone through our training to see the significant changes and things that have been made as well as them less likely falling into foreclosure. So they're able to avoid financial scams that are out there. They know that they need to seek assistance. And so through having this relationship with NeighborWorks, uh, we're able to provide them with unbiased information that would allow them to make the best financial decisions for themselves. And we see the importance of helping them to build a strong credit record. So whether it's about pursuing home ownership or some of their other financial goals, they need to prioritize building a strong credit record because it has such an impact on other aspects of their lives, including employment and where they could potentially live. Um, And for us, we don't think that it's too early for financial education. So we do have some of our organizations that also offer financial literacy uh, for for youth as well as college students. So yes, we we try to touch every aspect of their life uh, in a way that helps them to what we consider contribute to a better, better communities, which leads to a better country. Now, you touch on one item that I'm sure many folks may have some special interest in. I hope not, but I know this is still going on around the country when we talk about foreclosures. For people that may find themselves in this situation, from what I understand, you have some unique or special programs that may help them avoid it, depending on where they are today with their finances, and some counseling may put them in the right direction so that they don't lose a home. Is that correct? Yep. That is absolutely correct, and the, the thing that I would add is that you know our, our housing advisors um, have the ability to be able to sit with an individual, take an assessment of where they are in the foreclosure process, and then help to prescribe to them a remedy for their situation. And in some cases, families are going to lose their homes, but we also have programs and services that are put in place to create what I like to say a soft landing for them, so they're to uh, not slam down on the ground, if you will, for lack of a better term, but have a path that could eventually move them back into home ownership at another point in time. So really in terms of who should be interested, that's just about anybody that has a roof over their head, and we hope everyone does in some form. And it's not limited to only homeowners or those looking to buy, but you also do counseling and assist people that are looking to rent or make the decision between renting versus purchase or decide when am I ready to no longer rent but move into the purchase market. Yes. And even for those who've bought, it's not just about assisting them in getting into the home, but we also have programs and services to assist them while they're in their homes as well. So if there's need for some rehabilitation work or other things to be done, uh, we have loan programs and staff and uh, programs and services that can assist them as well. What's the difference between 
home ownership advisor and a financial advisor? Because to many listening, they may say, this sounds like more financial advice. And clearly, I know there's a difference between the two. The home ownership advisors are those who are specifically there to assist individuals who are going to move into home ownership. We do also have others who have titles such as financial coaches. And, and while they're not financial advisors, to be a financial advisor, you know, you have to receive certain licenses and certifications. And for our staff, we make referrals to financial advisors when that is appropriate, depending on what the particular goal is that they're looking to accomplish. Now, home ownership is something that we have a specialty in, so we're able to assist with them. But if there are other larger financial goals, then at times we will make referrals. We have partnerships and relationships with financial advisors. Our financial coaches are there to assist them with helping them achieve what some of their financial goals are, but not necessarily in the sense of providing them with advice, as an advisor would do, but also being kind of like their cheerleader and assisting them and holding themselves accountable to accomplishing the goals that they said that they would like to achieve. Now, Milton, I know there are many people that are listening to us right now that are saying, you know, these are some services or things that I'm very interested in. The next question on my mind is, how do I find an advisor in my area? Because you've already told them you're nationwide. But where do they go? How do they find this help? Right. So they can go to our website, and that is www.nw.org, or O-R-G. On the right column, you'll see Find a Neighbor Works Organization. You'll click on that, and then you'll either put in your zip code or the state where you're located, and it will pull up all the Neighbor Works organizations that are in close proximity to you. You can then either call the telephone number that will be there, or many of them have websites, and you can go out to their website to access more information about them, including possibly doing uh, some early intake information and schedule an appointment. And then from there, uh, you'll meet with someone either in person or uh, through the telephone. The ball will get rolling from there. We've been speaking with Milton Sharp, Jr., who is a home ownership specialist for NeighborWorks Campaign. And again, as we've discussed, this is the a national initiative. It's available to everyone nationwide from coast to coast. Milton, we really appreciate your time today and sharing all the information you have with our listeners. Very valuable. I hope many people that require this assistance, require the education, are looking for help. It's there. It's available. We hope they turn to you. Excellent. Thank you so much again, Ken, for giving me the time to share this information that I know is so useful for so many folks out there. been our pleasure. Thank you. That's this week's edition of One-on-One with Ken the Contractor. Each week, Ken brings you information about products and services from companies and experts he interviews during his travels, all to make your life better, provide options, and save you money. Stay with us. Oh, we've got more of your questions and comments for Ken coming up. You're listening to Ken the Contractor. This is Ken the Contractor. I'm Jim Britt along with Ken Patterson. Ken the Contractor. He's one of those unique contractors who works on weekends. He's here to help you answer the questions that are important to today's homeowner. It's 800-614-2975. That number again, 800-614-2975 as we go to the phones right now. And Bill joins us next. Bill, you're on the air with Ken the Contractor. Ken, at the beginning of the show, you were talking about uh, how a homeowner needs to check with the zoning and also the code, building code when they do a project. I'd like to add something to that. If you live where there's a homeowners association, generally you'll find their covenants. And many things that one would do to the outdoors of their property would require also require approval of, uh, of the homeowners association. I mean, if you want to put up a fence... Some homeowners associations have covenants that prohibit, say, a chain-link fence or a wooden fence. Uh, some even prohibit uh, clotheslines. 
or if you want to change the color of your home significantly, I think it's advisable to check with the homeowners association. You don't want to end up making some expensive modification and finding out, whoops, I should have gotten approval for it through the homeowners association. And I might add this. I think some people, when they buy a home, they think, look, I paid for this home. No one's going to tell me what I can or can't do with it. Well, if you're that type of person, you you need to buy where there's no homeowners association, no covenants. I'm right there with you. I'm glad you brought that up. That is one more item that needs to be thrown in the mix. And I want to go one step further with that, Bill, and tell you that frequently there are conflicts for those that are saying, oh, I checked my covenants and restrictions. I can do this. But there are conflicts between covenants and restrictions which run with the lot, with your subdivision, with that particular plat, versus what your county or city or town zoning may say. So the fact that you get a yes answer, let's say from the zoning office, doesn't necessarily mean that you can go back and still do what you want to for the very reason you're talking about. The covenants and restrictions may be more prohibitive. Now, you're not as likely to find it in reverse because in most municipalities, local government will review all covenants and restrictions before that final plat and those documents are recorded to be sure that they don't have any substantial conflict with local ordinance. But going forward, ordinances change, zonings change in and around us. So you may be abutting a zoning that's an R1 today, uh, and it could be, I know of a case recently where uh, residential property was converted back to agricultural use. And so as that zoning for an adjacent parcel of land changes, all of a sudden what you can and can't do may change also. So these are things you need to pay attention to. I'm really glad you brought this up. And when you do receive notices regarding property that abuts yours or if you're within a certain distance and there's a rezoning or a special use permit, I'm going to suggest people raise the question because it can have an impact going forward on how you might use your land. Thank you. I enjoy the show a lot. Thank you very much. We appreciate your call, and thanks for listening. Thank you, Bill. We appreciate it. You know, and, and it is interesting, Ken, as we're starting to see that more and more, you know, some of the subtle things, and I know one of the ones that recently has got a lot of publicity has been clotheslines, where you've actually had people in certain neighborhoods go to court over the right to be able to dry clothes outside. And not just clotheslines, but even the style or type of clothesline or where it can be positioned. I've been, it's, have seen neighborhoods where there has been huge disputes over storage buildings. Can it go on the patio? Can it be in the backyard? What type, what brand it has to be? Mailboxes, right down to a specific brand and style in some communities. There are more questions to ask than most of us really think about when it comes time to doing something. Because as Bill just mentioned, many of us think we bought our property. We should be able to do what we choose to. But you need to ask those questions if you're ready to buy this spring season. You need to ask, am I in the right place for me based on my lifestyle, how I live, and let's say some of the choices that I might like to have in and around my home? Because you may find you just can't do it. I know you're... It's always dangerous to make something and assume that uh, it's appropriate or a generality, but the more exclusive the neighborhood, the tighter those restrictions tend to be, particularly when you start talking about gated communities and things like that. Then you find that you're going to walk to their sheet of music. You better read all the fine print up front because you may determine that it's just not suited for you. 
And it's not just the gated communities, but you'll see more of those restrictions there. But as you move into most subdivisions in so many cities and areas around our nation that we broadcast in, you're going to find that there's some degree of covenants and restrictions. And that's done in part not to restrict you, but in part to help preserve the value of your home and to let you know the kind of standards of other homes that are coming in the future, how they will be built and what they may look like. Yeah, and and for those of you who aren't familiar with covenants, a lot of them deal with basic things maintenance on the house and as you said uh, it's designed to keep the neighborhood looking a certain way so it doesn't detract from your property value and i think that's what we're all looking for for the most part we want to know that we at least have comparable values to what we have we all have different lifestyles different hobbies and so you need to i won't say adjust but you need to be buying in a community open land whatever that really suits your lifestyle i mean if you're going to be in a particular business where you have you love dogs and you like to have 10 or 15 dogs around the house, you may not be in a subdivision because they may limit that, for example, to two dogs. So those are some things that would be quite important to you. All right. Before we wrap up this hour, do have time for our app of the week, and it deals with something that's very hot today, whenever you bring up DIY. And we're all about doing it ourselves. And so this is an app that I think you'll find pretty handy. You're going to like the price. It's only 99 cents. It's DIY, do it, and it's the ultimate, as they say, in mobile home repair guide. And the reason I like this thing for for individual homeowners' use is because it offers more than 50 easy-to-understand step-by-step tutorials. It allows you to help put together a list of materials, has a calculator for that. But the main thing is it shows pictures. There are tutorials that go with it as well, and we're, we love seeing how things are done today in our society. So I think you'll find that pretty helpful. As I said, more than 50 of them there, whether you're dealing with putting down hardwood floor or you're installing tile or you're simply erecting a fence. You're going to find so many of the most common things there right down to how to unclog a drain. may save you a fee with a plumber that could be pretty pricey from time to time. So you'll find it on the website, KenTheContractor.com. Our app of the week is called DIY Do It, 99 cents, and it works well with any of your iPhones and iPads. Now, if you want to take a look at some of the uh, apps of the week that we've dealt with on previous programs, just go to our website, KenTheContractor.com, and you'll find a link right on the front page. If you do click to that, you'll see all the apps that we've covered in recent programs, uh, including the real estate app from Realtor.com, the Evernote app, and also the barcode scanner. Uh, that we talked about, and Ballister Pro. These are all designed to help you deal with those projects that you're doing. And in a lot of cases, Ken, they give you such timely information, and it's available instantly on that phone. It is. Many of these, in fact, the majority of them, I think, are free to a dollar, maybe three dollars. But the main thing is you have instant information for the task you have at hand, and it's not cluttered up with thousands of other things that you don't need. It's what you need in your hand. I think the most impressive thing is it's presented, as you mentioned, in a very concise form, oftentimes with pictures, and that makes it a whole lot easier to get a job done. Yeah, it does. I mean, for those that don't do this every day, sometimes seeing it says, yes, now I really get it. I understand what they put in written form. But the other thing I like about most of these, it's in layman's terms. You don't want to have something written that's so far over your head that you can't grasp it, because I tell you, I'm that way when it comes to reading these things, computer code and some of this other stuff. I'm a builder. I'm not a computer expert. So these are user-friendly. So if you're looking for that, go to our website. It's the App of the Week link right on the front page at KenTheContractor.com. That'll wrap up this hour of Ken the Contractor. Each week, Ken brings you answers to the questions that are important to today's homeowner. You can always reach Ken at 800-614-2975 or online at KenTheContractor.com.
You've been listening to Ken the Contractor. Every weekend at this time, Ken the Contractor, Ken Patterson is here taking your calls. Don't forget, you can friend Ken on Facebook at Ken the Contractor and follow him on Twitter at Ken Answers. And if you're looking for home improvement information at any time, go to KenTheContractor.com.